The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. I'm so glad there's no men in the studio today. Thank goodness. Okay, maybe one man, but he's a producer. But, I mean, our husbands aren't here. Last week was crazy. It was very funny, though. I listened, actually, to it. <laughs> and uh, was, as I was walking the dogs, and I thought, oh, this is good. You know what? They should actually do their own um, fantasy football podcast. I think they're pretty good at it. I think that would be a good idea. Well, I, I suggested know. it to my husband, and he went, oh, no. Well, for the record, next year you and I are going to have fantasy football teams on the Family Fantasy League. And really? We're gonna, yeah, and I'm going to really? pick. You can pick your team. You can pick your players by their color of the uniforms and how their uniforms fit them. <laughs> I'm going to pick my players by their names and their hometowns. Look, I did, but and I, I bet you we win. <laughs> we probably, but how you, fun would that be? Look, the first time I was here, the first year that I was over here, when was it? 1999. Gosh, I'm getting old. Um, and... I was, my husband forced me to do March Madness. Did you win? I won. <laughs> I had no idea who Temple was and who uh, UNC yep. was and all of this. I had no idea. Yep. So I picked names that I liked the sound of. Mm-hmm. And I beat them. I beat about <laughs> 10 men. <laughs> I love it. See, that's what I'm saying. I actually did the same thing when I was at CNN Detroit. And I said, I want in on the, you know, and it, I won 500 bucks. And you know how I picked it? How randomly in a hat. I put every team in a, in a like little hat and I was like, here's my first, here's my second. And I picked UNLV to win and UNLV won. And, um, yeah. And I won 500 bucks. And when you're, you know, 22 years old, 500 bucks. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So I think next year we're going to do it and you're going to pick by colors and how the, and the of uniforms and I'm going to pick na- by names. Can we, can Home we towns. pick by who we think is hot or yeah. not? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds a lot more fun than colors of uniform. Seriously, awesome. then I'll be interested. Here's the deal. And if we win, you or I win, I, we're going to donate the money to the Victoria Stowell Foundation. That would be great. And then we'll Thank just you. take their money and rescue dogs. Yeah. I okay, like it. Done. Okay. What have you been up to this week? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> just working, shooting a lot. I'm working. Um, you know, we had interviewed Jennifer Arnold a couple of weeks ago, our very first podcast back. And I'm working on a story on her on diabetes dogs for CNN, how they're training them, uh, as we spoke to her about to detect when someone's having uh, lower high blood sugar. And I'm doing a story on silver sneakers, as they call it. It's a program for the elderly. Because, you know, as you get up in years, we lose our mobility, we lose our flexibility. And it's a really great program, a free program to seniors to keep them healthy and active. And, you know, a lot of times seniors become shut-ins. And they don't really have a lot, especially if they don't have family around them. They're a widow. Uh, they don't socialize much. So it's also a way for them to sort of be entertained and socialize with other people. And it's great. So we visited this class of senior exercisers, and they all go to lunch after. It was really neat. But um, So that was my week. That How about you? <laughs> well, I've had a varied week. I did some filming, more filming with Ehow Pets, and uh, we filmed with just the most beautiful dogs. Of course, I wanted to take them all home. They were lovely. Oh. And uh, some great training videos and also some other American dog videos. And uh, But I also um, 
did something that I'm now getting much more into, which is uh, I, I, and a lot of people don't know this, but now I work a lot with Jim, with Jim Crosby. And for all of you out there who don't know who Jim Crosby is, he's a former police lieutenant that um, is now a canine bike, forensic canine bite investigator and aggression expert he's the guy that has for years has been called in when there's been a a severe mauling or where there's been a fatality from dogs he's the guy that they call in to help do evaluations to go to the scene of the crime to help forensics to find out you know which dog did it why what was the situation was there any kind of cruelty involved and he's the guy that really travels around the United States of America doing this. Um, He gives lots of seminars, and we met doing dog bite bite prevention seminars. Uh, He's one part of my dog bite prevention task force. And so for about the last year, we've been working pretty closely with each other. And last week, I went with him to one of the... um, Unfortunately, a fatality that occurred. I can't say where and I can't say who because the work that we're doing is... um, until it can be released mm-hmm. is pretty sensitive, but it was fascinating. It continues to fascinate me. Yes, it's harrowing for, for me to see the very best of dogs and then the very worst of dogs, but also to see how in so many cases, sometimes it's, it's not the dog's fault and mm-hmm. they either, they, they've been goaded into it. They've been assaulted themselves and they've attacked back in defense or there are some dogs that have show real big predatory desire and um, unfortunately people have been on the receiving end of that so I'm going along and uh, I give behavioral assessments as well we're assessing all kinds of dogs now Jim has had he, he's been on the scene of for of, about a good good number of crime scene investigations of canine homicides as it were mm-hmm. And he's had his hands on about 30 dogs that have killed people. Mm. So I just, I'm working with him now. Of those 30, of those dogs, I mean, I don't know the specifics, but of those dogs, what is um, the the essence of, or, or the majority of, is it more of a, this was an abuse situation and finally a dog just reacted badly, it was goaded, or is it sometimes it's just a dangerous dog? Well, what, what's interesting about this, and I'd love to get Jim on the podcast maybe next yeah. week or the week afterwards, because it'd be great to hear it from the horse's mouth, as it were, but we see a lot of similarities, and the similarities are the dog has received no socialization, mm-hmm. training methods have been highly confrontational, dog's either been chained or confined for most of its life, doesn't have much social interaction, has received no kind of manners training at all, does live in, um, not only does it not have social interaction, it really lives in a pretty isolated life. So, mm-hmm. and What's also interesting is that it could really sort of be any kind of socioeconomic level, mm-hmm. as it were. It's not just it's not just a sort of certain section of society that this happens to, and a lot of it happens with dogs that the victim knows, mm-hmm. has had interaction with, and knows. And you know, so far this year we've had, I think now, twenty three people killed by dogs most of that three quarters of those children. Mm. So our work is very important because not only are we assessing and evaluating, we're finding common, common denominators. We're finding common reasons as to why this happens. And if we can get a really good knowledge and a good base of why, 
then we can find solutions so that this never happens again. Because, okay, even though fatalities from dogs are very, very small mm-hmm. compared to the number of dogs we have in this country, about 78.2 million owned dogs in this country we have now, one death is too many. When you're talking about children being on the receiving end of a fatal dog attack, mm-hmm. no, one death is too many. So we want to reduce that number from, there's on average around sort of 25 to 30 deaths in the United States from dogs a year. We want to reduce that number down to zero. But we're also dealing with dog bites as well. Severe bites or just bites, you know, my dog did it. Or or your dog bit my child, but uh, the child was in the backyard. Nobody actually saw it. And then the neighbor's blaming the person's dog. And then, you know, you can find out evidence from bite molds, from teeth marks, from... Um, which dog did it? Was it a dog in the neighborhood? Was it the next door neighbor's dog? Was it the neighbor opposite's dog? Which dog actually bit the child? So it's really important. And when we get Jim on here, he will be able to explain a little bit more about the forensic side Mm -hmm. of it because that's what he deals with. I'm more like his nurse where I, where I hand him the stuff, the the saline and the swabs and the, you know, I, I do that. But where I, where he and I work really well together is that, we really watch the dog's behavior. So mm-hmm. either, uh, and we assess as well. So, and we can get, we can really find out why, why, what was in the dog's circumstance that made the dog do this. Uh, and I think that's extremely important for prevention in the future. Right. Right. I would imagine because then you can see warning signs and then would you then take that information and educate um, even animal control officers educate local police forces because, you know, you have situations where they get a phone call. My neighbor's dog's barking all night long. Can you come out here? And most of them go, mm, yeah, you know, and they kind of thumb their noses. But could that be a warning sign? This could be a future problem. This dog obviously is unhappy. Of course it can. And yeah, and that's why we're doing our dog bite prevention and um, treatment and awareness conferences all around the United States. In fact, we have one coming up in Denver mm-hmm. on November the 2nd. So if somebody wants to go to it, if they're in the Denver area, uh, denverdogbiteseminar.com? Yes. And you can just register online um, and actually a conference. So they can just, even though it's a seminar conference. So if you're in the Denver area and you want to come out uh, and see Victoria and um, sort of learn about this and maybe be, you know, work with your local authorities and help at least be aware of it. Yeah, this this uh, this conference, we had one in May in, in, in Atlanta. It was very successful. So we're now taking this around the country. Mm-hmm. And um, I will be speaking there with Jim Crosby. Mm-hmm. We have an attorney, Claudine Wilkins, who is very, very knowledgeable about um, the prosecution mm-hmm. and also liability and um, what victims can do if they're on the receiving end of a dog bite. We have some families coming that have been affected themselves by dog bites, either their, their child has died or um, they themselves have been bitten and so we're getting their experiences. But we'd, we'd really encourage anybody that lives around dogs or knows dogs to come to this this seminar um it's open to all animal industry professionals Mm -hmm. child educators we really want teachers to come Mm -hmm. anybody that's involved with the child please come shelter workers medical professionals first responders animal control delivery personnel we have a lot of mail carriers and delivery personnel that are getting bitten by dogs Mm -hmm. trainers 
dog lovers, if you want to learn about aggression, why dogs aggress, if you want to learn how to keep you and your family safe, if you want to learn warning signs or how to investigate a case, or this is the, the conference for you. So we really encourage, even if you're not in the Denver area and you, you're somewhere in the United States, or uh, please come because mm-hmm. I think you're going to learn a lot from this. Fantastic. Um, and also wanted to ask you, kind of shifting subjects a little bit. Um, I know you're working on your eHow videos, and um, you just did, we kind of chatted about it a little bit before we started the podcast about the herding dogs. And, you know, I had a Border Collie who was the smartest dog in the universe. And when they say Border Collies can understand 300 words, do they really? Because I believe that she understood 3,000 words. Like, I believe that if I had said to her, Bonnie, I'm not feeling so well today, she could have turned to me and said, would you like a Pepto-Bismol or an yeah. Alka-Seltzer? Because she was so smart. Yes. Oh, well, they are. They are. And there are two dogs, and I forget their names. So please, if you if you know their names, I think there's two dogs in Europe. Uh-huh. Or maybe there's one in the States and one in Europe, both Border Collies, that can recognize over 300 words and make associations between those words and actions and words and names of toys and things like that. So, wow. yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, look, dogs are intelligent. It's just taking us a long time to figure out Well, how. not all dogs are intelligent. Let's I know you keep saying Barnsley. It's, it's just, you, you haven't just, unleashed Barnsley's mm-hmm. inner mm-hmm. intellect. Next time you come over, you, you unleash <laughs> anything you can in that dog. But um, seriously, uh, herding dogs, though, are just, I know that instinct is, and when I, I got the border, I got my border client, which is about a year and a half. She was a rescue. And um, it's funny because I guess, I don't know how it works, you know, but I found myself walking into walls and I was like, what's going on? And I would watch her herd the cat, herd the other dog, and it's really subtle. And I realized she was hurting us. She just kind of walks you into walls or she walks you. It's remarkable. A lot of my work is going to people's houses when they've got children and they've got herding breeds and they say to me, you know, my, my herding, my, my dog is herding my child. Yes. I mean, that's what they're bred to do. You come in someone's house and the whole family's in the corner. Come on in. <laughs> so one of the things, one of the, the pieces of advice I give them is mm-hmm. all right then. Well, we're going to deal with, with the herding behavior with your child. So we're going to stop that from happening, but we're going to give your dog something else to do. They need a task. They need a task. So, and I like to be able to give herding dogs an opportunity to herd. But if you don't have a child to herd, what do you do? No, well, all around the country, including here in Atlanta, there are organizations where you can either learn the sport of tribal, which instead of herding sheep, the dogs herd big bulls. Not kidding. I love Big, it. almost yo- like yoga balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are two nets either end. And they have to, it's almost like a sport where they have to herd the ball into either net. It's rather so like, like soccer. Dog polo, yeah. Yeah. Or there are organizations that actually have sheep where your dog can learn to herd those sheep and get out all of its desire to herd on those sheep. That's really cool. In a positive way. There's one here in, uh, called the canine, the, the, Canton Ranch, the Canine Canton Ranch, and of oh, the Canine Ranch in Canton, excuse me. And Brian Cash is the shepherd there, mm-hmm. and he has sheep. And you can take your dog; doesn't matter what breed. This is the wonderful thing about it. Mm-hmm. But of course, border collies are better. You can take your dog, and your dog can learn how to herd. Wow! He does even with border collie puppies. Puts them there with their sheep. Those dogs instinctively know what to do. But what was incredible to me is that you can, he's done it with a Bichon Frise too. 
A little, a really? Yes, they've heard sheep. Aren't they really a little temperamental? They're little, you know. Well, this one, one, this one herded sheep. Wow. And so I wanted to learn how to become a shepherdess. So is that the eHow video the e-how, this week? If you want to see, if you want to see me become a shepherdess, I do, and herd sheep, I'm like a fish out of water. I love it. I just looked so ungainly. <laughs> Brian makes it look so beautifully easy. And of course, he's got these wonderful whistles and his dog, just Petey, I think it was. We've got a whole load of different dogs, but just, just did it just so beautifully. But I did. I became a shepherdess for the day. So if you want to see it, go to um, youtube.com slash ehowpets. Okay, done. I love oh, it. Can I, I also it. say? Yes. He has, Brian has a company called Universally Green. This E-W-E, is E-W-E, Universally Green. Oh, you universally green. Okay, like as in a sheep. Okay. So if you want to find out about it, it's universallygreen.com. Anyway, he uses his sheep and his dog. He is called in to urban areas such as Metro Atlanta. Uh huh. And his sheep are called in to eat kudzu. I love that because there's and vegetation no, and weeds. Brilliant idea. There's no pesticides. There's no, you know, you because know, we actually in my neighborhood, they're very careful about the kudzu and they're constantly monitoring and they put out a monthly report. There was kudzu behind, you know, 1000 Greenway Road and then we got it. We're on it. And they take the kudzu because it does it, down here, especially it takes over everything yeah. and I love it. And then it feeds the sheep. And you don't have pesticides. If you have an issue, call Brian Cash with his I sheep and he puts them, he puts, and the sheep love it. I mean, sheep are very sociable now. Oh my God. So all these sheep wanted to do was to come to me and nuzzle mm. right next to me. So it was pretty cool being a shepherd as most sheep, I guess, are, are scared of people. <laughs> um, when I was young, and I know I'm going on, but when I was young, my first experience of sheep herding was at a one of my favorite places in the world, which is a farm called Pantideri in Wales. And Pantideri was where my family used to vacation. Mm-hmm. They would have, they had a, this big manor house, the farmer, 10,000 uh, 10, acres with sheep and cattle and horses. And, and so kids would go there. We would go there in the summer. We would go there in the Easter. And our parents could have fun and hang out. And we would just go off. We'd go ride horses. We'd go off with the farmer. So for 13 years, I went there. Wow. And... Easter time was the main time that, that we went. Of course, Easter's lambing time. So I spent two weeks every Easter just every day with the farmer going around the farm and all of his land, herding sheep, lambing. What does that mean, lambing? Lambing, well, helping lambs being born. Okay. And this is where I learned to skin lambs. What do you, what do you mean skin? Okay. Here I am. I started with this when I was about seven years old. Mm-hmm. So my, 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 yeah, seven, eight years old, my daughter's age. And well, of course, let's, let's take, all right. So you have, they have thousands and thousands of sheep. And Mm -hmm. so his day is spent going around the fields just to check up on them. Mm -hmm. Now during lambing season, of course, you get thousands of lambs being born and, um, some lambs obviously don't make it either. They're Mm -hmm. eaten by a fox or they have their eyes pecked out by crows or something awful happens. And so you've now got a ewe that has lost her lamb. Mm -hmm. Some ewes die in birth. Mm-hmm. So now you've got a lamb without a mother. So you've got to put the ewe that's lost her lamb with the lamb that's lost the mother. Mm-hmm. But the ewe that's lost her lamb is only going to accept the lamb that smells like her lamb did. Oh. So you take her dead lamb, you skin it, and you put the skin onto the orphan lamb. Put them together, and so mum accepts orphan lamb as her own. How long does the baby have to wear that skin? Um... Uh, about a week. Oh. 
That's how long this, these skins stay. Mm. So it stinks. Yeah. I've never eaten lamb since. Uh, I, I don't I, eat lamb either. No. Mm. Horrible. But that's what I did. And I learned wow. how to skin lambs. And, um, you actually skinned them? Yes, we oh, did. Oh, I would have passed out. We did. We skinned. We skinned. Mm-hmm. And you just like, you, you make okay, yeah, certain yeah. decisions. You mm-hmm. pull. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. Sorry. I'm sorry. Did I tell you don't that you I'm think it's fascinating? Oh, no, I mean, it's fascinating how Wait they a second. You're a medical that. reporter. What do you... Why, I have why? producers that look at video for me because I can't. Yeah, I had a... Someone... I, yeah, once did a story once where a woman had to check her blood sugar for diabetes. She had gestational diabetes. I'll shoot a little prick and it was really warm in that room I hadn't eaten and I just went, Bew! seriously, mm-hmm. I'm really bad with blood. And it's apparently that's a medical condition too. Not a medical, but it's a psychological, there okay. is a condition somehow in the brain. And I guess I have it pretty bad. So you couldn't come down and hang out with Jim Crosby and myself when we're looking at a not if you're pictures of lamb. a victim's body. To match pictures would be different. Pictures, I think, are different. I think for me to actually see, I don't know though, because when I was in high school, some kid did cut his hand open, jump in a chain link fence, and I hopped too. And I was like, "Get me paper towels, call nine one one." And I got his hand up, and I put the pressure on it, whatever. And then as soon as the paramedics got there, (laughs) I mean, seriously, one was taking care of him, and one was giving me smelling salts. But yeah, yeah, I think I think it's fairly. It comes from my mom. Here's something totally off record, and then we'll leave. Um, this topic, but, um, my mom is so afraid of needles and blood that, um, until I was 16 years old, I never got Novocaine because my mom was afraid of needles. So I had every cavity of which I have many, I had many, um, without, uh, needles. And I actually even had a root canal without <gasps> Novocaine. Yes. Until I realized, wait a minute, hang on a second. <laughs> and then not even the gas. So, um, now I go to my dentist whose name, by the way, is Dr. George Michaels. Um, and yeah, and he is, he's the best dentist in the world. And, um, and, uh, I say, when I walk in, I'm like, hi, I know you're just going to check my teeth and take an x-ray. Can I have the gas? Oh <laughs> Cause I'm making God. up for lost time. Anyway, uh, talking about your sheep, I actually have a goat story that I will tell you sometime, but I'm going to take some pictures first and we'll put them up on the website. And then next podcast, I'm going to tell you about my goats. Your goats. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it there. How about that? Wow. I used to be able to name every nut, and that used to drive my mother crazy. What planet is he on? That's like peanut, hazelnut. Yeah, but did you know macadamia nuts are toxic to dogs? Macadamia nuts. I'm absolutely amazed. Oh, and did you know this? One kind of Pekingese is referred to as a sleeve because it was bred to fit into a Chinese empress's sleeves, which was how it was often carried around. I got a really interesting email the other day. And it said, Dear Victoria Stowell, I am an RAF police dog handler currently serving overseas in Afghanistan. Royal Air Force. Royal Air Force, yes. Okay, so no, no. Thank you. Are you proud of me? Yes, I'm very proud of you. We currently have over 100 military working dogs out here working with UK forces. Mm. As you can imagine, both the handlers and especially the dogs are doing an incredibly difficult job working extremely hard in very difficult environments. As you would expect... This has had a detrimental effect on morale for both handler and dog. Mm. All the military working handlers and dogs would be extremely grateful if there was any way you could use the dog-related contacts you have to get some goodies sent out to us Mm. to improve our much decreasing morale levels. In return, we'd be happy to send photos of all the guys and dogs out here back to you. That was from Corporal Alex Jeeves, an RAF police dog handler. That is a great idea. That's a great email. Okay. So here's what we could do. All right, everybody, we need your help. So if anybody wants to email us ideas, what we should send, what we can send, if anybody wants to send stuff to them, um, how do we want to do this? We just put the, we'll put the address up on the website or you want them to send it to you. Okay. 
What should we ask our producer? What do you prefer? He's thinking, so we'll let him think about this. Um, because then we can compile boxes. We can ship them over. It's great. Like things like, I would imagine, Frisbees for the dogs to play with. And even, like, think about it. Frisbees for the dogs and their handlers to play with. Footballs for the handlers to play with. And they can, you know, balls for the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know Kongs. And we can put peanut butter. And, you know, I don't think they can free stuff over there. But just treats like that. Um, I think that's a great idea. I think so. If you've got great ideas, yes, please send them to email who? Oh, email the show. Okay. And then we'll respond and let you know whether or not we'll have you send it to us or we'll have you send it directly. We may just gather everything and send it in a big box so you don't have to send it overseas. Um, I think it's a great idea. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be dog related. You know, think about it. These men and women have been over there for a long time. And, you know, even if you want to send magazines and DVDs, you know, hey, I'll tell you that um, oftentimes uh, once every couple of months I send a box over there. There's a website called anysoldier.com. And um, every unit overseas will send a list of their wish list. You can go on and pick anyone you want and fill up a wish list and send it over. And you should get the nicest cards back and some pictures and things like that. So even if you want to send toys for the dogs, you know, women over there, it's great if you could send. They love conditioner, hair conditioner, smelly good lotions and soaps because, you know, that's not really a military issue. Um, things that make them feel better and things that they can share with the dog, even warm blankets that they can curl up with or, you know, toys they can play and I'm a big Pinterest fan so if you go to the DIY but you could make your own dog toys up there too so if you've got old socks or old sweaters cut the arms off maybe stuff it with some stuff and you can make pull toys and you know things like that I think yeah any kind of interactive toy is going to be great for dogs out there I mean of course these dogs are getting a lot of mental stimulation physical exercise anyway Mm -hmm. so um but interactive calm interactive toys like the Kong stuff with food something that they can just you know lie down with and chew on and kind of get rid of all of that anxiety because of course a lot of dogs chew when they're anxious so chewing helps to release pleasurable endorphins into the body makes makes you feel good so stuff that you can really chew and that dogs can 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 uh, can benefit from i think that would be great that's awesome okay so email uh, the show positively.com slash podcast email us there and um we with your ideas or um what you have and want to contribute and then we'll email you back and let you know um, if we'll have you send it to us or to them, we'll figure that out. All right. Um, and I know that our mailbag is brimming. It's overflowing. It's been a while. So let's go to the mailbag. Hey, you got something on your mind? What are you, a wizard, a genius? How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way, some process they, they physically miniaturize the dog or is it a puppy or what, what the devil is going on? That's a really good question. I've got my work cut out for me here. Next time you want to know something, can you repeat the yes. question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, you obviously don't dog. know my dog. Just ask Victoria. Okay, here's a question. Since um, I just got home, I was out of town for a couple of days, and I got home and all my plants are dead, but it's okay. No. All your plants always die. You showed me those plants on your deck. <laughs> I and I knew that after a couple of weeks, they're going to be gone. They're gone. Um, but this wasn't my fault. My husband uh, may, may or may not have forgotten to water them. <laughs> but, um, right, but I'm thinking now it's fall, right? And we're getting into cooler weather. Um, officially fall. So uh, I'm going to start planting some fall plants. And this is an issue for Elizabeth Wharton from Coventry, England. Because um, she says, how can I stop my dog Digging up my plants. Mm. And it's a tough one, isn't it? Besides putting a chain link fence with barbed wire on it, which you don't want to do. It is a tough one. It depends where your plants are. Mm -hmm. See, 
remember when I came over and mm-hmm. did the show with you? Yes. And Kashmir was digging under the fence to try get out. Yes. And I said to you, give her a place where she can dig. Mm-hmm. So that redirects the digging under the fence to somewhere more appropriate. So like a sand pit or a dirt pit, hide toys underneath there, and the dog can get all of their digging desire out on somewhere appropriate rather than somewhere inappropriate. And I find that redirection, mm-hmm. redirecting like that is works. It, it, it truly, it's... It works like a dream. Now, with Kashmir, Kashmir's situation was slightly different because she was wanting to get out. Right. So she had a sort of a, a hound Houdini desire. <laughs> and um, and so it wasn't just a digging thing. Right. But there are dogs that my next-door neighbor's dog loves to dig. Yeah. She'll dig up anything. She's a tiny little cavalier. Right. So give them a place to do it. And it, it's a sand pit or a dirt pit and... Hide toys in there. And their favorite toys is good too because they know the smell of those toys yeah. and they love those toys. And you can, you know, you can use, I do two dog, two, two toys a day mm-hmm. and I hide one in the morning and then I hide one in the afternoon and then I rotate the toys so that I, on a Monday I'll have two toys mm-hmm. and then they won't be seen until the Monday afterwards. You taught me that. I have a drawer now full of toys. When you came, you, you did that and we put, and I still buy toys and put them in there. And it's like every two days, the dogs now know they come down in the morning, they eat their breakfast and then they stand right by the, the, the big cabinet with, and it's in the bottom thing because I open it up and I let them each pick like, like they're my children. Like I let them each pick two toys and they know they go in and get one and they go in and get the other. They've, they've totally learned. And then they go run to their little corners and play with their toys. And then I gather up everything else and wash them and then put them back in the drawer. It works. It works. And it's almost like they dig in that thing too. But so I think it is digging for their treasure. Yep. And you know, if you, if you do have to put some kind of physical barrier then to, to begin with and try it, but redirection is the best way to stop a negative behavior. Okay. Uh, let's talk to Mary from Windsor, Canada, by the way. Love Windsor, Canada. Have you been? Never. It's right outside of Detroit. Is it? It's right over the border, oh. and I love Windsor. Yeah, that's yes. right. That's where it rang a bell because mm-hmm. when I was in Detroit, they were talking about Windsor. Okay. Well, it might have been for a different reason. Windsor is um, Detroit. They well, can we go there? Um, Detroit is a very um, conservative town in some ways, and they don't have strip clubs. And Canada is a little bit more relaxed. And so um, Windsor um, is the closest what- town. That's what they were talking about. Did they invite about. you to the Windsor Ballet? No, they, they were talking about the strip clubs in Windsor. Yeah. Well, of course, because they're all guys. So Yes. And here's what I've, when I first moved to Detroit and I was at the CNN Bureau and it was mostly guys and they were, so what's everyone doing tonight? You're going to go out? And they're like, yeah, we're going to go to the Windsor Ballet. And I was like, oh, what a great group of guys. They're so cultured. And I'm like, what are you seeing? I'm thinking Nutcracker. I'm thinking, you know, and little did I know the Windsor Ballet was not what I thought. But anyway, Mary from Windsor has a totally different issue here. Uh, she says, hi there. I adopted a lab mix that has been an abused and dumped dog. He's scared of sudden moves, loud noises, and if anything gets changed. For example, if you remove the mat by the door, he refuses to go out that door. If you try to be stern with him, he runs to the front yard away from you. How can I cure this problem and get him to obey. Now, Mary doesn't say how long she's had the dog and how, you know, I would imagine if it's fairly new, it'd be a little skittish. Yeah. And, um, I think being stern with him is not the right way to go, especially if he has been abused and he's been dumped Mm -hmm. and he's obviously fearful and, um, obey what? I hate that word obey. Mm -hmm. What is she wanting him to obey? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, Dogs that have been through terrible situations 
sometimes find coping with normal everyday life really difficult. Remember, a product of domestication. Domestication is all about an animal being able to deal with novelty. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean changes in the environment, changes in situation. Dogs that are very shy or very scared are not able to cope with novelty. So changing stuff inside the house, changing anything that's different is really hard for them. And the way that I help these dogs is, first of all, to put them on a really predictable schedule because Mm -hmm. predictability breeds Mm -hmm. confidence. When dogs can predict what's going to happen in their environment, they feel more secure. And once the dog begins to feel more secure with a predictable schedule, then you can begin to vary that schedule gradually and slowly. Mm-hmm. And I think patience is what's needed here because you are dealing with a very deep-rooted, deep-set anxiety, which can sometimes be take a long time to change. Mm-hmm. So I would go slowly. I would, if you are going to move things, well, try not to do it now. Try put them on a predictable schedule, plenty of exercise, plenty of activity toys for mental stimulation. Um, maybe some massage, a lot of kindness, um, and start teaching action cues, get your dog thinking. Now, when dogs are thinking, they don't have any time to be emotional. Mm. When you activate your dog's thinking brain, it deactivates the emotional brain. Same as in humans. Mm -hmm. When you're really emotional, you can't learn. But when you're really learning, your emotional brain is deactivated. It's the same with dogs. When I work with dogs that are very anxious, stressed, I deactivate that emotional brain by getting them to think and problem solve. Physical exercise is one of those ways. But working out an activity toy, how am I going to get the food out of this particular toy? Or giving them some kind of dog puzzle. There are loads of great dog puzzles out there. How am I going to get the food out of this puzzle? Really gets them thinking. And then you can do that in all kinds of different environments and situations to help your dog cope. Uh, but that's how I would start. Then once your nervous dog is able to deal with little changes in your environment, then you begin to loosen that schedule. Okay, uh, let's go to Chris from Western New York. Chris wants to know, at what age should a puppy be enrolled in puppy school? Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> if I said maybe about 10 weeks, I think some people will take a a umbrage at that but as soon as possible now of course you've got to be careful about disease and you've got to go to the right kind of puppy class but there are people out there that do puppy classes for a very very young age and Mm -hmm. the reason why is remember that socialization is a primary socialization window and it ends at around 16 weeks of age so that socialization window is the time between zero and 16 weeks of age, when you have that time to really socialize your puppy to different people, environment, situations, other animals, other dogs. If you don't, you're setting up your dog to potentially have fear issues Mm. in later life. Hmm. So before 16 weeks, absolutely. But puppies don't receive all their vaccinations. And, uh, you know, the last round of vaccinations is at around 16 weeks of age. So 
I always say after one round of vaccinations in a puppy environment, puppy class that practices good hygiene mm-hmm. and in a puppy class, it is appropriate. Now, don't go to a puppy class where you just, they just shovel puppies of all ages and sizes and temperaments together. Mm-hmm. Go for a class that maybe has three or four pups of similar size and that understand that your puppy's got to have good experiences around other dogs. Mm-hmm. Because even taking it to a puppy class and then the puppy has bad experiences, you've got an issue. So um, it's got to be a, a hygienic place where your dog is going to be safe from about 10 weeks old. Some classes even start at eight weeks old and um, where they understand where puppies can socialize with other pups, but it's done in a very controlled way. And really, gosh, eight weeks old, they can learn anything. Well, you can start teaching them at home too. I mean, oh yeah. Oh yes. Of course. I'm saying yes. Yeah. yeah you can absolutely I mean, I, do that. I mean, I, I teach puppies, gosh, eight weeks old to sit and lie yeah. down and do all that kind of stuff. I, you'd be very proud of me. I taught my next door neighbor's dog at nine weeks old how to sit. Great. Because my dog does, it's too young. I said, watch this. <laughs> Good. Okay. How about this? Uh, Cynthia J from Chicago uh, wants to know, she says, hi, Victoria. I'm currently working to become a trainer or in some way work with dogs for my career. Yay. Uh, I have one of your books, but I heard you wrote two more. By the way, the yay I put in. She didn't do that. <laughs> what are their names and where can I get them? And what other books would you recommend, excluding uh, the ones in your shop? She wants to know about those, but other books. I really want a detailed encyclopedia about all the breeds. Any advice? Thanks so much. Your biggest fan, Cynthia J. Well, Cynthia, I've written another book. Well, I've written two books. How, um, it's Meal the Dog, How to Have a Healthy, Happy Pet. Um, that's available on Amazon and in various bookstores around the United States, and it's been translated into numerous other languages around the world. Hmm. So it's done really well. Um, it's in Britain as well, but you'll find it in Chicago. There is a book that I wrote called Fat Dog Slim, which is only available in Britain. And um, I, my third book is coming out March 2013. Mm-hmm. And... That is a must-have book. It's called Train Your Dog Positively. It will be everywhere mm-hmm. and available everywhere. And at the back of that book, you'll have a whole list of great books to read. Fantastic. I recommend books um, from Dr. by Dr. Ian Dunbar, Patricia McConnell, Suzanne Clothier, um, Nicole Wilde, all of these great trainers, behavioral experts. Do you think it's important, too, for people to – to read books. I mean, for anybody really, cause I'm always fascinated about like, there's always a story about or a book about, you know, how dogs think. And there was that, you know, I mean, those PBS specials, like getting inside the dog's brain. Cause it's, will that help? Especially if you want to be yeah. a trainer to think like they think. Well, inside of a dog was written by Alexander Horowitz. Um, and that's a phenomenal book. We've also got dog sense by John Bradshaw. Again, another phenomenal book. Pretty, uh, I would say it's pretty heavy reading, mm-hmm. but it beautifully written both of them. And if you really want to, 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 to get right inside of a dog, get those books. But then you're going to be able to really get inside of a dog when you read my book in March. And I'll let you know when it comes out. I can't wait. Yay. Okay. Um, Joe Gregory, who's in Essex, England, asks, when will you be coming back to the UK? I'm so desperate for your help with my staff. I want to prove that these dogs are not what people think they are. My dog is amazing with humans, but not great with other dogs. Please help me save the staff. And uh, I'm not really sure what he means by staff, but let's just talk about that. There are dogs that are good with humans, but not with other dogs. And I know that Barnsley, 
my dog, for instance, he's a little bit dog skittish. We say a little dog aggressive sometimes, but he loves people. He would never hurt a person. Um, you know, and I guess it's just personality. So what, what could Joe do? Yeah, well, Joe, I'm glad you're in Essex because I have one of my Victoria still positively dog trainers in Essex. Her name oh, is Jane Williams. She's a great trainer. And I think, you know, with dogs that are dog aggressive or uncomfortable around dogs, there's a protocol that you have to follow of gradual desensitization and adaption, being able that, to be able to teach your dog that other dogs are not going to be a threat to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really need a trainer to help you. Mm-hmm. So I, con- I would go to um, my website, positively.com slash trainers, and look for Jane Williams. She is in Essex too, and she will be able to help you. Um, I'm also going to be, yes, I, I, I miss England a lot. I really <laughs> do. I mean, I love living where I live, but I, I miss England. And luckily, I'm going to be spending quite a lot of time there next year. I'll be coming back for seminars in May. Oh, good. So I'm going to be having a seminar in London. I'm going to be having a seminar in Manchester. And you'll be able to come along there and uh, meet me and hear me talk and we can hang out. I love it. And uh, in the meantime, though, I bet Joe could reach out to the trainer there, Jane, and then just instead of hang out, tell you how great she's been and the strides that his dog made, right? Right. Okay. um, Here's one um, from Louise LeBlanc in Canton, Michigan. Uh, We rescued a dog, told Lab Shepherd, looks like a pit, happens all the time. Uh, Idea was companion for daughter with brittle bone disease. Worried as six-month-old dog Nala is so strong. Did puppy training. Neighbor expressed concerns yesterday. Thought of rescuing felt grand, but worried about possible harm and wrong choice. Never had a dog, so truly a big challenge. Having a child with osteogenesis, imperfecta, and a power for dog is worrisome, more so with new unsolicited advice. My girls love you and your show, and I asked and asked I seek your help. Thank you, and have a fabulous day. So obviously there's um, there's a couple issues there. One, you know, you have a, a, a child with special needs. Two, you have a dog that's a strong dog, but that doesn't necessarily mean, I guess, the dog that has to be harmful. I mean, this dog could be very good for this girl and could protect her and help her, right? She absolutely, she could, the, the, the dog could, but so the dog Nala is only six months old and she's, she's very strong even at six months old. She seems to be trained. Yes, she does. And yeah, again, gosh, I wish I was there because, um, I wish I was there because I'd love to go and meet her. <laughs> I'd love to come <laughs> and meet you girls. Thank you for loving my show. And Thanks for getting your mum to seek help. Look, I think it really, again, not being able to see Nala. Yeah, there, there absolutely is. I think Nala needs to have some really specific good training that will help her with impulse control and that will help her understand the parameters and boundaries that she can go to and teach her to be gentle. But you know, when you've got young pups or you've got adolescent dogs, they're very excitable. They like to jump. She's got to be taught to really inhibit her behavior, especially around the kids. So I have in the Detroit area, again, some great trainers, Shelley Kisner, Beth Duman, and um, the Trainers Academy as well. The, these these trainers, if there's one that's closest to you, I would get in touch with them and get one to come over and help you. Because again, you know, it's difficult for me to say exactly what you need to do because I'm not there. 
But when you have somebody, there, there, there's such value in having somebody coming to your home. And then they'll be able to see exactly what Nala needs in order for her to be safe around your daughter. But it's understandable neighbors and family members will express their concern. You are the one that makes the ultimate choice for your family. And, you know, it is a puppy. The puppy's six months old. She will come down. I know that when you came to visit me at first, my dog was a, just over a year old, and she's a completely different dog today. Yes. They slowed down. And the fact that she's got another daughter who doesn't have the same health challenges, maybe that's the daughter that takes the puppy out to run the puppy and play hard with the puppy. And then when the puppy comes home exhausted, that's the time that Nala snuggles with the puppy. Yeah. And maybe you It know, would be very sad to get rid of this dog because um, I'm sure your daughters don't want to get rid of this dog. And there's no need, really. Yeah, there, there isn't, because because I think there is lots of, lots of things that you can do. But again, as I always say, children have got to come first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think this is a situation that you can't handle and you have to go the rehoming route, don't go to a shelter. Try rehome your dog. You know, find somebody that will be able to take your dog. Uh, last question. I think we have time oh, no, for one sorry, more. I should oh. just rip. If, if there are no other options and you've got a good shelter near you, then that's sort of your, your last choice. I don't want to do shelters down, but I always right. like to kind of avoid last the resort. shelter. And, They're yeah. so overburdened right yeah, now anyway. So over, yeah. Okay. So last question here. We have time for one more. And this is from Debbie Kennedy in Ohio. And Debbie has a four-year-old male black lab named Rex. Now, Debbie and Rex just got two parakeets a few days ago. And the problem is, we can guess, Rex jumps and barks at these parakeets. What can I do to make Rex stop this? Will he ever calm down and not do this? Thank you so much. And I will tell you that it kind of makes me a little concerned because, um, you know, I uh, it, anytime they get startled, I think parakeets have very... I don't know, at least, I don't think their hearts are very strong, and I would con- be concerned that the, it was going to scare them to death. Like, I have a 15-year-old cat, and every once in a while, the dogs will get up and bark, and the cat will jump, and I think, you're going to give my 15-year-old dog a, heart, a cat a heart attack. So, it's not a good situation, but... No, I'm just wondering why you got these two parakeets, and if you've got a lab, you know, labs are bird dogs oh, as well. That's, right. that's one of their, their jobs, is yeah, to yeah. go and chase things and retrieve things and they're very good at retrieving birds plus parakeets make really shrill high noises which bother a dog's ears of course Mm -hmm. no wonder the dog is jumping up i just think you know maybe maybe it's going to quest get it be a question of this is just new and the dog will just settle down but you got two nice little little sort of feathery fluffy bits of prey there must be (laughs) driving your dog nuts hey why did you get the birds in the first place but now you have them I think the best thing to do is try separate them. Well, now let me ask you this. So that's counterintuitive. I would think, all right, well then put the cage on the ground where they're safe. That you know the dog can't get at them and let the dog sniff around and be desensitized. Then you really no? are going to have the parakeets. That you're going to cause such frustration in the dog because the dog's not going to be able to get at them, oh. and then the parakeets are definitely going to have a heart attack because they're on the same oh. level as the dog. Look, if the parakeets are above the dog and they have that ability to know that they're safe, mm-hmm. then then great. We can't put them on the ground with the dog. So just Plus, basically God separate them. The dog gets in there. You're not going to have any parakeets left, which oh, actually might solve the whole situation. Kind of a dog. Maybe she has a relative who would like to adopt oh, a couple of parakeets. Oh, sorry. I just, you know, I'm a dog person. I'm a cat person. I am not <gasps> a bird person. Why not? Just not. I, not sorry. even like, but not even like those parrots that speak Don't and they've got great personality. Fine, and really? whatever. Look, let these animals just need to be flying. 
don't like them. Or, in, or in a big aviary. I hate seeing birds in cages. I hate seeing birds even in, even in a larger cave. In a huge aviary, fine. Mm-hmm. But you're keeping a bird in right. a cage? I think that's terrible. I'm sorry. <gasps> I'm going to have lots of bird enthusiasts. No, that's, I mean, that's just your, that's your emotional side talking. No, it's well, no, but it's true, isn't it? I know. You've got birds with wings, they got to fly. I had a, um, I, I had a friend whose girlfriend at the time had a, they were living in San Francisco and had a very nice house, one of those beautiful houses on Russian Hill on the top floor, had these bay windows and all it was is this big like wood in the middle and that room, which probably would have rented out for $2,000 to somebody was the bird's room. And, um, I thought, well, if you ever decide to give up the bird, I'll take the room. Wow. <laughs> it was, it had a great existence. Let's just say I'm fascinated by birds. I'm scared to death of some birds because they're so unpredictable. And those beaks are scary, but I love them. I love birds. I wanted one so badly, but they live like these parakeets, you know, the talking ones or the, not the parakeets, the parrots and the, they live to like 60, 70, 80. I'm like, I'm too old to get one. They do. And, and I'm sure one day if you get a bird, you'll come home and Sean will have cooked it. (laughs) He, He threatened me. We did a story once years ago and this woman had this beautiful parrot. It talked and, um, we were trying to do an interview and it was sitting in the sort of the aviary and it. This big room and they apparently had a cat that was an outdoor cat. And I did not know the cat's name. And in the middle of the interview, the cat, the bird started yelling, Holly, Holly, Holly. And I thought, this is weird. And I'm trying to conduct this interview in this woman's home and I'm dying. And finally my photographer, she's like, I just, I got to stop. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. My cat's name is Holly. And the cat's outside and wants to come in. So the bird was saying, Holly, Holly's seeing it. And I thought, see, you don't like it because it scares you because they're smart. See, no, no. I was just about to say birds are very smart. <laughs> Dogs are very smart too. I just, I just don't want them to be shut up. Shut up. On the way out of this house, um, and I should tell you that this was in the 90s, um, and the way out of the house, um, th- that... Um, how smart this bird was. Um, as we were leaving, we say goodbye, goodbye. And we hear the last thing as the door closes, the bird says, OJ did it. <gasps> no, <laughs> are you kidding? Where do you come up with these stories? Is, is that true? Honest to God, ask Kathy McDonald, my photographer at the time. Yeah. Well, that is a, that is just <laughs> insane and incredible. And what a note to end this podcast on. Holly, you are, your mind <laughs> is full of such incredible information. Some of it really useful, some of it not. Scary. But yeah. It's scary, it is. Yes, and it's all true. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at It's Me or the Dog. This Positively podcast has been brought to you by Pets Ad Life, who encourage you to get a pal for your pet. Visit PetsAdLife.org or the Pets Ad Life Facebook page to learn more. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Positively.